Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at unitedcitygso.com. Enjoy today's teaching. I'm Morgan, and I will be reading the scriptures for today. Today, we are going to be discussing Lamentations 3. If you guys want to open your Bibles, the words are also on the screen, starting at verse 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. I'm not going to lie, this table is deceivingly heavy. I went to pick it up earlier. I was like, man, I didn't think this was going to weigh like a couple of cinder blocks carrying this thing over. Well, I'm Corey. If you don't know who I am, I'm on the leadership team here at United City, and I get the privilege this morning to be able to share the word for you as we've been diving through Lamentations 3. But before we get there, I want to give a little bit more detail about me, just so you're aware. This is simply to help you understand before we go forward. I'm from a place called Madison, Madison, North Carolina. Uh, If you haven't heard of it, it's okay. No one has. The population there is more cows than people. So with all that being said, in Madison, we have our own dialect. We like to, you know, create things, do things of our own. And even when people go there and come back, I have no clue what they were saying. Like my dad, when he's on the phone and everyone's around and he hangs up and I had a friend of mine, I had absolutely no clue what he was saying. And I was like, well, that sounds normal to me. So in Madison, we like to Think of a paragraph. You look at this paragraph, take all the periods away, take all the spaces away, and take all the commas away. And you just have that right there. That's Madison for you. And so what happens is that once you get us excited, which I will get excited probably at some point in this message, it will look like that. And it would probably sound like what you may be thinking. And so just so you're aware, the other thing is to, is I like to move around. Now, that don't have anything to do with Madison. That just has to be with me. And so I just want to get you guys prepared beforehand as we get into this. And so like I mentioned earlier, we have been diving through Lamentations, and today we're going to be going in Lamentations 3. For those of you who don't know the background of Lamentations, it is not the most joyful time in this life of the Israelites or the nation of Judah or Jerusalem. And it's not been an interesting time for me as I prepared a sermon for this message. It has been rather challenging just to think of different perspectives and what's going through the life of the people. But the primary goal as we've been going through Lamentations is how we navigate in our own life when we are lamenting, grieving, sorrow, pain, suffering. And so we're diving into Lamentations and how to navigate that, how to navigate those moments and those different times in our life, and how to live in the reality. And so, in Lamentations 3, just to give some context, 
before we get into it. In the first and second chapter of Lamentations is the desolation of a city of Jerusalem. It is described and deployed well, Jeremiah. So we have his role, his perspective, and his own words. And what's funny, though, is that we are more touched by the details of the suffering of one person than the effects of thousands. There was a study that went out about, you know, when you see the commercials where it's talking about giving money to places in Africa. And they did this, like, little data where they put up just, like, a bunch of pictures and different things. And then they put up another one. It was just a simple picture of a girl and her story. And it was, a, like, time 10 the amount more giving that was given to the one individual. Because we are focused in on the individual who's right underneath our eyes and the stories that we can connect to. And so today, when we're looking at Jeremiah, in chapter 3, we're like wedged in the middle of the book. This is from Jeremiah's perspective. This is what he is seeing. This is what he's witnessing. This is what he's grieving about, even on the nation of Jerusalem, as havoc is wreaking all over the place. And so we're seeing it from his perspective. So we're going to see that today. And so, Paulette said, today my hope is that even through terrible judgment, God is a God of hope. And I'm going to pray real quick before we go. Jesus, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, I just I ask that when I speak, it's not me. Oh, Lord, I don't want it to be about me. Even though the lights are shining, Lord, I want your glory to be sown into the hearts of us. Holy Spirit, you have your way. Open all of our hearts. Lord, soften it for us to be able to receive what you have to say and what you want to bring to the table, what you're trying to illuminate in our hearts and our minds. Lord, even through our own suffering and our own grief and pain that we experience in our life or have or will. And so, Lord, have your way. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Pain is something that everyone experiences. But if we're honest, well, for ourselves, some of those experiences are self-inflicted. So I've been playing guitar probably about since eighth grade, a long time ago. And I learned how to finally change the strings on my guitar. I've been doing it for a few times. And simply, you have a guitar, and you unwind the top, and you loosen the strings out, and you feed it through the body of the guitar. I know this is like, where are we going with this? But we get the string, and on an electric guitar, it goes through the body of the guitar. So it feeds through, comes up, and goes up to the head of the guitar. Well, I'm changing the strings, taking them off, and then I'm feeding them through the body of the guitar. Now at the top, where it has been wounded up, it's bent, and it's not easy to feed it through. And so as a young kid, easily flustered, getting frustrated, you know, I was at the very end on the smallest string of guitar, and it was not coming through, and I just gave this one good yank one time because I was mad. Next thing I know, I sliced all of my fingers open. Literally, like, not to be graphic in here, but literally, I li like, you can see all the stuff that's inside there. And I remember as a young person, I was like, what is going on? And my first reaction was to run to my mom, of course. I like, mom, I'm running through the house and, like, showing her. It looked like I've been through, like, saw or something. And what's funny is that I did it to myself, though. You know, I did that to myself. I, like, ran up, grabbed a guitar, and reacted out of my own hurt or my own selfishness and decided, you know what, I'm just going to do this. And ended up leaving with scars back in on my hand. And a funny moment, I guess you could say, that I looked back in. And so, but this is where we find the Jew Jewish people, right in the middle of havoc, 
torment, pain, suffering. But what's funny is that we're used to like, you know, the, like a Job. We're used to things that come out of the blue and we're not prepared for. But what if this pain was because you did it to yourself? The pain that you knew better, but you did anyway. You knew it was sinful, but you chose anyway. You knew it was wrong and you just kept doing and you kept riding the grace card of the Lord and eventually the Lord just took it back. And he said, all right, it's time to pay the debt. So the Jerusalem people, Jerusalem and Judah was in this moment where they had been doing that. They had literally been living in idols, like in the temple. They'd been hidden and away from all the sight of people, but they were literally in the back somewhere worshiping other idols in the temple of the Lord. They were following other people, trying to be like other nations instead of being what God intended them to be. And they just did it over and over and over again. And then finally the Lord decided this is the way he has to do it. And so Jeremiah, this is what's come to the defiance of them. And yet instead of listening to them, they placed Jeremiah in the prison for not hearing what they wanted to hear. And when they put Jeremiah in the prison, it was like a foreshadowing of their future to come. And so Lamentation makes it clear that it's sin and rebellion because of the wrath of the Lord. And so I have in Romans 1, 24 through 26 and verse 28. And I'm just going to read this. And I want you to think of this scripture, even though it's in the New Testament, I think it's a great understanding of the mind and the set of the people in this particular time in Lamentations. And I'll be reading through ESV. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for that that was contrary to nature. And then verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what was ought not to be done. The worst type of rap that we can get from God is the absence of God. You know, we get the punishment and the chastisement when he, you know, disciplines us. And we, you know, like, love, like imagine. But the idea and the concept of the Lord is out of love. But the love, like imagine that moment when the Lord's like, I'm going to pull away my presence. That is absolutely the worst rap. A.W. Tozer said this was the definition of hell, the absence of God. Imagine you're living and the presence of the Lord is absent. So basically, you're near to a place and experiencing what hell may feel like. And so we're in this place in the world, and that's the worst thing. But the overarching theme is that there truly was an absence from his people. He was not gone. He didn't leave, but he just drew back. He allowed things to happen. He allowed them to keep going, to keep digging in the wrong direction, keep going south instead of going north towards him. But in a long sense of pain, you know, the people were not truly absent. But when you're in pain for a long time, you think you just end up resting there and you're not resting in hope. After it goes on and on and on, it feels like this pain is just eternal. Like it's not going to leave. You're just there. Days become in the length of time like a year, it feels like. 
whether it's anxiety, depression, suffering, the loss of someone, whether it's something that you're dealing with or dealt with or going through, it just seems like the pain never leaves and we're just stuck in the middle of it. And this pain is coming through Jeremiah as he laments over the disobedience of the nation and God's people. And this brings Jeremiah to lament over loss. Lamenting over loss. So Jeremiah in Lamentations 3 communicates very strong language of how he's feeling and what he's dealing with and how what he's done for the Lord has led him to these emotions and feelings. Like the Lord, you know, told Jeremiah, you can't be married. Told Jeremiah, you have to do this. You have to do that. And this is like his expression as he's pursued that call. And this is how he is telling. He's being honest with the Lord. And he's being honest with the surroundings he has. And so in chapter three, he lists a few of these statements. I am a man who's seen much affliction. He has made my flesh and skin waste away. He shuts out my prayers. He has made my chains heavy. I cry out for help and no one hears. He's made my my path crooked. And then the list literally goes on. He just like goes on in the entire chapter of these emotions and these feelings. I think you and I can resonate to some degree, but just imagine the grief that he's feeling over a nation of people who placed him in prison when he had the antidote to change all of it. But they decide, you know what? You're not one nation that he loved. We're going to put you in prison. And so he's in prison watching this whole nation that he loves, that he adores. And the Lord has placed him to, you know, speak the truth and bring repentance. And they rejected it. And he's literally just sitting as everything's being destroyed. I don't know, like, if you knew kind of like the historical background of like what happened and went down and what Jeremiah's witnessing is like people, women and children being sold into slavery. The temple being eradicated. Like Solomon's temple was destroyed. They ripped all the gold and bronze and silver and everything in there. They destroyed it and they took it. So they mangled the temple of the Lord. Women being sold in slavery, sexual slavery, abused, men being killed, everything being taken over, destroyed by the Babylons. That is what Jeremiah was witnessing. And there was nothing he could do about it because he was in prison. Imagine the Lord telling you to go to a nation, telling them the truth, but they didn't want to listen. And then to make matters worse, you get to watch it. Imagine that conversation that you might have with the Lord and ask him, why did you ask me? Why did you get me to do this? These are all these emotions that he is expressing. And I think it comes down from Lamentations 3, 6. And he says, he has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. So out of everything he expressed, everything he's talking about, I think it's coming from this exact moment that he has been permitted by God to go into the dark. All of these emotions, all these statements are coming from this darkness, this realm that he is living in, in this prison. This is all the things that he is experiencing, and it's coming from this darkness. So Jeremiah's in this unique and intense place, and he shares the word of life, and he calls people to repent, but they do not listen. And we all have these experience moments like this. I'm going to give you a funny one. So I have a, my family, again, stereotypical North Carolina, Southern family, you know, raised out in sticks, out in the farm, a bunch of land. So we have these things called four-wheelers. And um, 
we were at my brother's house one day, and my nephew was much younger at the time. This was his first time experiencing driving a four-wheeler. And so it was a wild time for him. And I remember he's riding around in the yard. In my mind, you would think it's kind of easy to just drive a four-wheeler and just turn the steering wheel, give a little gas, hit some brakes. Well, he has no experience whatsoever. And so he's just riding around the yard. You know, you can just tell he's a newbie. And he's just driving and everything. And then you can tell as he's getting more experience, he's starting to speed up a little bit. Kind of get more like little daredevil kind of way. And my dad was outside. We're all outside watching, having, you know, good old Southern conversation. And um, where he, my dad, I remember him looking at my nephew. And he said, you better not hit the car. You better not run into it. Literally within three seconds. He's going so fast that he's afraid to turn it. So guess what he does? Rams right into the side of the car. It was an experience. I just like walked away. I literally walked inside. I was just like, I'm not even going to be out here for what's to come. So he was told, hey, don't go hit the car. Jeremiah told him, don't go hit the car. And what happened? The people did the wrong thing. This is what he's doing. He's communicating this truth. Hey, don't do this. And yet they do it anyway. So Jeremiah's heart for his people is for the people, for the nation. And they are upside down right in the middle of this sin. Light is often mistaken for darkness. Consequently, the people place him in prison and he endures the pain of watching them. The people he loves lose everything and there's nothing for him to do. And all these words of Jeremiah's expressing, he's talking about the Lord made him dwell in the darkness. And I think that's very counterintuitive to what we're very used to. This side of the new covenant, we're able to see the light. We're like, we're used to the Lord saying the light into my path as you lead me. You know, go into the light. The Lord's the Holy Spirit is this fire that is illuminating, leading us. So we're used to the light, but we're not used to the dark. And especially when the Lord asks us to go in it. We're not used to that. We, to be honest, I don't want to go in the dark. Especially the Lord is telling me to go into it. But as he's going into this, the moment God sometimes sets his people in dark places, he permits the light of joy to fade, the vision of truth to be dim. And joy to seem to be pretty much gone in his presence to be at loss. All of it is fading. Everything's going away. And then where the soul is plunged into back, the black depths of sorrow, doubt, and loneliness, we stumble in the dark. And we're terrified of it. And we don't want to embrace it. And we don't want to do it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to be bothered by it. We don't want to experience it whatsoever. We want to be on the light side. But the very fact that Jeremiah admits that God set him there is the very fact that the Lord's hand is with him. So if the Lord is asking and permitting us to go into the Lord, the realization is he is going to be with you. We all know the psalm they're very familiar with. In Psalms 23, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But church, if darkness be the place where God has led us, it's best for us to be in the dark. And trusting the fact that as we're being led, that he will be with us. You know, sometimes that darkness could be self-afflicted or it could be something that we experience. You know, it could be things that you experience in your life. I remember like when my mom was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and we're in this place of where like, you know, we were like didn't have the money or the financial ability to be able to pay for the medication that was for her that was needed monthly to 
put it on perspective, the cheapest medication that we can get costs 11 grand a month. And I'm like, whoa, this is insane. And like, we have no way of getting it. And so like, I'm in college and I'm like, what are we going to do? My mom absolutely needs this as a form of being able to medicate, be medicated and live and function. And like, I don't know what the alternative is without it. I don't know if she just continually digresses to, you know, the worst possibilities. And I ran her like, you know, we're just sitting there in the midst of that. And I was just like, Lord, here's this one of these places where it seems impossible. Like, we're literally stuck in a corner, and there's nothing we can do about it. And I remember my mom figured, hey, let's just write him a letter and see what happens. Who writes the people who make the medicine a letter? I was just like, okay, whatever. We'll take a shot. And she did that. And literally two days later, we get a letter back from them saying, hey, we read your letter and we're moved by it. We want to let you know that we're going to give you all the medication for free. That is insane. That's $144,000 each year that my mom does not have to pay. And add that up all the way up until, you know, 80 years from now, good Lord willing, that she lives that long. Make all that happen. So that sometimes we just don't want to go in the dark, but the realization is that he's with us in it. Even if you don't see him, even if you don't feel him, or even if you don't notice him, he is in the dark. And there's another place in scripture where we see the darkness falling on another man. In Matthew 26, 36 through 39, and verse 42. Then Jesus with him took a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here, while I go over there and pray. Taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, a little further, he fell on his face. Oops, sorry, I skipped a verse. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And in verse 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. Like Jeremiah, Jesus was placed in the dark with sorrow, even to the point of death in the garden. Even in Luke, it mentions that he was bleeding from his pores because of how much agony and pain and sorrow that he was taking on in the moment. We get this visualization that the Lord was in a place of lament. Imagine like you are the, the person who's going to save the world from all the sins. You are the sacrifice. Imagine that weight on your shoulders. And then the fact that you're willing to accept it. And in that moment, you're in here, in this moment of prayer with the Father, accepting that. This is what I'm going to do. He said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And this acceptance, even in the darkness, even through the sacrifice, even through the pain, your will be done. Your will be done. And Jesus was in the place of darkness. But even in the moments of loss and suffering, pain and seems of no end, there is hope. Because loss can lead to redemption. 
Loss can lead. And Jeremiah had this shifting moment through all of these expressions and everything that he was experiencing. It was his moment where he just began in his mind, he shifted in this moment. Lamentations 3, 21 through 26, which was read earlier. I'm gonna read it one more time. And it said, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So as Jeremiah's soul sunk to the lowest it can go, as he's witnessed the people of Jerusalem and Judah or their defeated people, they were still not consumed. They were not consumed. There was a remnant of people which God promises as a restoration. If you look throughout the scripture, any moment of, you know, a country or another nation taking over Jerusalem, there's always a remnant of people left behind, the people of promise, of restoration, those who are serving the Lord, those who are following the Lord, there is always a remnant who will pick up from where the Lord is and they will continue and to go where the Lord is asking them to go. And so throughout that, we see moments. And so falling into sin time and time again, but never were the people wiped out. But wherever God leaves, he leaves life behind. He leaves hope with it. So even in this disread of despair, you can find the beauty of God's compassion. Every new morning, every new morning, Jeremiah, imagine in this place, literally this place where he's just seeing life as it is, but he's deciding every new morning is mercy. Every new day is compassion. The fact that our hearts are beating right now as we sit in this place is a blessing. You know, I love my wife. Shout out, I'm married. But she doesn't wake me up every morning. The Lord wakes me up every morning. He is who wakes us up every morning. The fact that we're breathing, we're still alive. There's reason and there's hope. Any moment you can look around, regardless of what you lost. Even when my brother was sentenced to jail for 10 years, even when my fiance before my current wife left me in college, even when my father had heart problems, even when my truck nearly killed me going down the highway and decided the back left wheel was going to fall off and go its own route. And literally losing people who lost their lives, cancer. Like all that happened day after day for two weeks straight. You know, I'm trying to figure out like, Lord, what is going on? And so he is in the midst of our suffering. He's in the midst of our pain and that he was there and he will be there with us as we lose it. So every new morning, there's a reason for hope. And there's hope in every new day along with the faithfulness of God. And Jeremiah begins saying to himself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. As everything around him was falling apart, as everything was being destroyed, he was being satisfied in his soul by the Lord. Begins to place his hope in the, in the portion, in the midst of waiting and seeking of the Lord. The people of God rejected and rebelled for generations, continuously seeking others for safety and rescue, but never the Lord himself. They always wanted to be like the one they're around, never seeking the Lord himself as the king. 
And they always found, we can just go through all of scripture constantly, every other place. We're going on a good track, then boom. They cry out for help. The Lord comes in, going on a good track, then boom, fell into sin again. There's this vicious cycle that we're really good at. And so the Lord in this moment, and we see this, that the hope finally happens after this time. You would think that after the end of lamentation, they come to this realization, like we really need to just lean on the Lord, surrender, and give everything to him. Spoiler alert, they didn't do that. You can go read the scripture. And it was, again, that vicious cycle. It didn't change their hearts or their sin. And this is why God sent Jesus. This is why the Lord God sent his son in our place. There was no other way. There was nothing you or me or any other person than himself could do. He was the man to save his people, knowing that his mission was to, in fact, die for us so that we can live in freedom, that we can live away from the sacrificial system, that we can live and be free, that we have this ability now that when we mess up, we can call on Jesus and literally ask him, Lord, I repent from what I've done right where we're sitting, in your car, in your house, at work, or whatever you're doing, at the park. That wasn't like that before. You got to go to a priest, give him a sacrifice, then they sacrifice, and then your repentance was taking place. We have a whole new way of freedom today because of Jesus. So the reality is that when we look through lamentations, we just see a people who is lost, but this was the key, is that the Lord had a way out. There was a way out. And so the Lord's sin was, had taken over the hearts, and he was the only way. And it was funny, in Luke 19, Jesus came to the city of Jerusalem lamenting, just like Jeremiah was lamenting over the nation. We see the same exact place where Jesus was walking into the city, crying and weeping because of their state, because of their condition, because of their heart. And he was grieved, and we know him as the man of sorrow. The man of sorrow. That's who Jesus was. Just like Jeremiah, they mimicked the same thing. And in all of our affliction, he was afflicted. For the pity on us to redeem us. As Jeremiah came to present the truth of prophecy, Jesus came to fulfill all prophecies. But he was rejected by his own people. He was rejected by his own people, just like Jeremiah was. Jeremiah simply came to tell them, this is what you need to do to get out of it. And they just went for it. Jesus came into the equation like, hey, I'm the, the payment for all the sins that you've committed. And they didn't have it. But Jesus was ahead of them and knowing that, hey, I know you're going to reject me, but I'm still going to die for you anyway. I'm still going to die for you anyway. Even in the midst of sin and what's going on. Even though his own personal meant Jesus in all of it. So Jesus came to fill all those prophecies. His people took the crucifixion and paid the sins of it all. He became unrecognizable to the Lord. You know what's so funny is that when the moment Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we distorted the image that we are to a place where it's not, we're not necessarily recognizable because of sin. And then you see this actually happen when Jesus is on the cross after the whips, after the crown, after the mutilation. As Jesus is on the cross, he become unrecognizable. So we could be recognized. 
He became unrecognizable. His flesh was symbolic of our hearts. As we as a people, there was no other route. There was no other choice. There was no other direction. And Jesus became the direction. He became the destination. He became the final payment. He became the one who helped us to find freedom. You know, we don't have to keep going in this cycle of our own sin. Even though we experience lamenting, he is with us in the lamenting saying, look, just follow me. I'm right here with you in the dark. I remember one time I was reading the scripture when I was facing my own personal anxiety, which at that time was very due and didn't know how to deal with it and know how to experience it. Through panic attacks, waking up, feel like I'm about to have a heart attack. You've probably been there, some of you before. And I just did not know what was going on. And we like to retaliate and run from these emotions. We like to run from the fears, the doubts, and the things that prevent us we think that God ain't in control of. But what's funny is that it says in Zechariah, he says, go into Babylon, for there you will be redeemed. Go into Babylon, for there you will be redeemed. Go into your anxiety, for there you will be redeemed. Go into your depression, for there you will be redeemed. We are so wrong in thinking that he's not in the middle of it. We have to go in there with him, trusting and knowing that he is there with us and that he's going to bring us out because of his son, because of what has been done and what's going on. But we're afraid of it. We don't want to because we're not prepared for it. But a reminder, as we go through the valley of shadow of death, regardless if it's around us or even in us, we're not to fear no evil. And trust that he would be with us. And so I have some practical steps that I'm going to put up here for things to do practically to experience lamenting. And so the first one is lament well. A lot of times we like to avoid how we feel. We don't like our emotions. We don't like to experience them because we get to be there longer than we want to. But you need to lament well to go through it. If you never deal with it, guess what? You're just going to suppress it and it's going to come up again and you're not going to like it any more than you did the first time. So lamenting well is going through what you're dealing with, going through how you are and just connecting with God and give him a chance to work in that and don't deny the chance. The second one, depending on who you are, you can be playing instruments, going for walks to the park, sit along and away from distractions. Or you can do this communally with people you trust, where you have the ability to be able to confess, you know, this is what I'm lamenting over. This is what I'm experiencing. This is what's going on in my life. And having a place of being able to express someone's felt or, or, or grief and sorrow to be true. A space where you can open up and let God move. Three, remove limitations from God. As you lament, give yourself to God. God is relational. To lament to God is to move into a deeper relationship with him. Remove your limitations. Because a lot of times, like myself, you experience these emotions and feelings and you don't think God can actually solve it. So we just quit giving it to him. So remove the limitations. Open yourself up and be honest. Lord, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm questioning. This is what I fear. And this is what I'm going through. It can be because of you or something else. But go to him and remove limitations. And lastly, pray honestly. Mark 9, there was a father whose son was possessed. And the disciples were there, nine of them. 
and they were going to him and they were going to pray over the spirit, but the spirit did not come out of the son and they were supposed to have authority. So Jesus steps onto the scene and as he steps onto the scene, he comes to this father and Jesus being like himself, you know, communicating and having a conversation while the son is being over there. He's just cool, calm and collected. And so the, Jesus is asking him, if you only believe, where the father said, if you could only do this for me, if you could only heal my son. And then Jesus responds, well, if you could only believe. And the father said, I do believe, but help me in my um, belief. And then right after that moment, the son was healed. And Jesus rebuked the spirit. Pray honestly. Be honest with the Lord. I think Josh did an incredible job in the many other occasions where he was just talking about when we experience these emotions, like pray honestly. Pray before the Lord. Express yourself and just tell him the truth. What's going on? What you're experiencing? What you've been dealing with? Whether it's just started or it's been going on. But pray honestly. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to have the worship team come back up and do one more song. As I pray, Jesus, just thank you for today and thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives, Lord. We love you. We come to you and asking that you be with us in these times that we face of lament. Lord, help us just to learn and be real and be honest as we're dealing with all these places in our life. Lord, help us to just be honest before you, whether that's through repentance Rest through confession before you, Lord, and the sin that we've dealt with or going on. Lord, I pray that you continue to speak, Holy Spirit, that you would just fill the hearts that are empty of yourself. Through the hearts that have been, you know, going through the ringer in their life, Lord, I pray you fill them. Lord, help us to lament well as a community. Because, Lord, there will come a time where you permit us to go into the dark. And so, Lord, may we just follow you through the valley knowing that on every turn, there's probably a new landscape to witness. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.